0: Hey, welcome to Blue Wire. After you finish listening to this awesome Blue Wire podcast, make sure you check out the other pods in our Blue Wire family. Okay, I know, you're probably wondering how do I do that? Well, it's simple go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and search Blue Wire. Ta da! They will all be there, so have fun listening.
1: Hello and welcome to the Eurostep episode 10. I'm Kane Pittman and I'll be joined as always by uh, the Wisconsin Herd expert and now Bucks expert as he turns his focus to the NBA, Ty Windish, How's it going, man?
2: I'm good. You know, uh, we're just thriving here at 6.23 a.m. I'm on about five hours of sleep. You're on about one and a half hours of sleep. <laughs> so this is going to be... Just peak podcasting hours, and I'm just excited for what, what the result of this is going to be.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be good. I, I, I will say that, yes, uh, not a lot of sleep for myself. It was, uh, it was a long day yesterday with opening day, up early, uh, ready to go for the Brewers season opener, and then rolled on through to the Clippers, and it was a bit of a longer post game and some, uh, some work after the game that probably didn't see me get to bed till around 430 and as you said it's uh, it's not quite 6:30 so I think that we'll put it this way I will apologize if if you know this one's a little incoherent but I, I think we'll be able to work through uh, the bucks coming off another two victories since we last spoke they beat uh, they beat the Rockets on Tuesday night which was a really big win for Milwaukee they win 108 94 and one of the more comprehensive uh, defensive performances, I think we've seen all season. It was uh, they really slowed down that Rockets' offense, particularly James Harden. We we'll probably touched on that a little bit more. And then last night uh, they take down the Clippers, and this one wasn't really close at all. One twenty-eight, one eighteen. It never really felt that close, uh, as the as the Clippers were missing a couple of key pieces. Lou Williams doesn't play. Ev doesn't play. We know that. Uh, going back a few months ago they traded Tobias Harris so a different look in uh, Clippers team that continues to win games but last night severely outmatched against the Bucks so uh, I, I think we'll we will start with the Clippers game since it's freshest uh, how did you see uh, that one and, and any main takeaway straight off the bat
2: it's all it's funny because like you said they were without Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams and first I was like oh you know they're at a disadvantage poor them and then. I sort of remembered that the Bucks are missing like four guys as well. And I was like, oh, you know what? We're, we'll call it a wash at best. Um, I thought it was a, a pretty good effort for Milwaukee. Uh, pretty solid win. I mean, first quarter was close. The Clippers came out making shots. But basically what I expected to happen did. That sounds like kind of a flex, but I didn't even mean it like that. But I just figured without Lou Williams there, they would just lack a sort of scoring pep it would take to keep up with the Bucks, And that's felt like what happened. I mean, they made it interesting all game, even late, like in the fourth quarter. They brought it, I think, to single digits or at least very, very close. To, yeah, definitely the single digits in the fourth quarter there. But Chris Middleton the Bucks, managed to uh, hold off the Clippers' late runs and runs throughout the game, really. I mean, this is a well-coached team. It's a playoff team in the West. And Doc Rivers is doing maybe his best job ever as a coach, a lot of people are saying. I mean, he did win a ring, so let's not get too carried away, but he's certainly coaching the the hell out of this group. Um, but they just didn't have the firepower, I didn't think. I mean, outside of Danilo Gallinari, you look at their next best scorer at this point, and it's like maybe Montrez Harrell, maybe Shea Gildas Alexander, who's a rookie and who can't really shoot. So... It, it I, I just kind of I figured they would the Clippers would play hard they did I figured they'd make it a good game they did but in the end I, don't, I just don't think they had the firepower and I think Milwaukee played a really really solid game on both ends
1: yeah I, I think that's right and the Clippers kind of I, I feel like they're almost the the Indiana of the West right because they uh, they don't really have a, a standout star uh, you know obviously in the Pacers case. Victor Depot gets injured, but uh, with the Clippers, they trade away Tobias Harris, and they are just got some young guys. There's a couple of vets there, but they, they just play hard, and they're well coached. So it's uh, you, you always feel like it's going to be a game when you play this Clippers team. But uh, for the Bucks, you you spoke about uh, you know probably having a little bit too much firepower. And this night it was Chris Middleton, uh, season high 39, and this was uh, the his highest point total since the 22nd of November 2017 when he had 40 on the road uh, against Phoenix. So uh, for Chris, a a really big night and and just shot the ball really well. Coming off the 6-for-23 performance against Houston, he goes 16-for-25 from the field, 4-for-7 from the three-point line, and uh, he adds in nine rebounds, five assists. It was really just a monster night for Chris. It probably went under the radar a little bit because of some of the other storylines, but this is a guy that's really starting to find some rhythm now. And I did mention the, the Houston game, but uh, for, for Chris, since the All Star break, and it's funny, there was some, I guess, scrutiny on Chris coming into that All Star game. He wasn't shooting the ball that well. And, and you know, from a lot of circles, uh, or Bucks fans in particular, may, may have been questioning whether he should have been in the All Star game. Uh, people were asking whether that's the level of player he is. Well, he, he came out in the All Star game, hit all those threes. And he's come back a, a more confident player. He's in a real rhythm. We know that he's a guy that gets hot and, and goes through stretches uh, of games where he's playing really well. But 19 games since the All-Star break, he's averaging 20.8 points, 7 rebounds, 4.7 assists, and shooting 38% from three. So uh, there's no doubt about that, that, the fact that they are All-Star numbers for Middleton, and he's really starting to get rolling. Um I I did ask him about this after the game about how good he's feeling and how good the shots feeling, and in what is a pretty typical answer for these bucks. He didn't want to get straight into it. He he wanted to bring up the Houston game. He said the Houston game was a dud. He said he had a, a lot of great shots, but he felt like he airballed most of them. Uh, and tonight was or like, tonight was just about coming out with the same mentality, being aggressive, picking his spots, and trying to find a rhythm. So he definitely did that. Uh. I would have to look it up, but I don't feel like there's been too many games, consecutive games in in Middleton's career, where you could look and say that he's had uh, 23 shots and then 25 in the next game. So he's definitely getting his looks at the moment. But uh, just a really uh, a really confident uh, Chris Middleton right now.
2: Yeah, I mean I've said it before. I'll say it again. In addition to the post All Star break confidence. Chris is a 16 game player, not an 82 game player, and we are getting close to those "quote unquote" 16 games. So, I think uh, we're we're seeing Chris get ready for the postseason here.
1: Yeah, I I seen next to Alex Boda from uh, well, Bucks now, formerly Bruhut, but he uh, we sort of looked at each other in the in the fourth when when Chris was hitting a couple of threes, and I sort of looked at Alex and I was like, well, I guess it's only playoff time. Chris is Chris is turning turning into the uh, human flamethrower again, and and it was it was impressive. I mean, once he gets going, he's one of those guys that uh, on on any given night, if he's if he's hot, you feel like he's making every shot, no matter how difficult they are, uh, no matter who's in his face. So, look, a really good sign for the Bucks that uh, that Middleton's going to start to get going. But really, I I think the big storyline from this one is going to be Giannis. Um, mm-hmm. He a really weird incident. Uh, where he sort of was... So he was coming back down the floor, and I thought where I was... I was sort of watching the honest the whole time, and he sort of ran into the Clippers' opponent and then went down, rolled his uh, right ankle again. And I thought... I And I watched the replay, and I'm not so sure anymore, but at the time, I thought that he was intentionally making contact with the player, um, just as a... I, I'm not sure, as a, as a... Uh, I'm not sure if intimidation is the right word to, to be honest, but it looked like he could have very easily got it uh, sort of stepped you know to the left or right and just kept running down the floor. But it seemed intentional that he made contact. I don't know whether that actually is the case, but it, either way, it it proved costly because he goes down holding that ankle again, and he was really sore. And for the third time in uh, in the last two weeks since that Sixers game, uh, we're we're looking at him in the locker room, and he is really, really sore. Like a, a uh ankle in in a bucket of ice after the game in the locker room, limping around. Um it's it's scary when he keeps going down like this.
2: Yeah, it is. Did you think he was actually gonna check in again when he got up to the table?
1: So he was and and Bud confirmed that and and Janice confirmed that. So the big question was, uh in my head, uh, was uh, where did that come from and why did he uh, walk to the table like that. Uh, Bud confirmed after the game that that was, that was his decision. And he said, hey, Giannis, we need you. Uh, go to the table. So at that point, uh, the game had was at 10 points, I believe. Nine or 10 points. Giannis walks to the table, and then Lopez hits a three, and the Clippers call time. So uh, Giannis explained after the game what that was all about. And he said, uh, coach said, I need you out there. I walked to the table. Lopez hit that three. We we went to the huddle, uh, and and Bud said, "No, we'll we'll just see. I, I don't need you anymore for, right now." So, uh, I think that's the the sort of interesting thing about it is because I, I think most people, including myself, uh, I was at the point where I was thinking this game doesn't matter. You, you know, you're up by you're still up by ten points with uh, you know, only a few minutes left. Let the guys write this out. There's nothing to be gained from playing Giannis right now. I understand you know, the position we are and all the rest. But the Giannis' ankle and getting him healthy is more pressing than uh, playing him hurt uh, down the stretch to try and hold a 10-point lead. You've got to be able to hold that at home. So thankfully, Lopez hits the shot and Giannis doesn't come back on the floor.
2: Yeah, I, I think I'm hoping in my heart of hearts that it was just a little bit of subterfuge by Buck, by Bud, not Buck, excuse me, and that there wasn't really an intention to play him because, I mean, it's you were right there. Everyone on TV could tell as well, though. I mean, they kept showing him, you know, on the side. Everyone tweeted about it. But just walking up and down the sidelines, clear ginger, gingerly limping. I mean, it. I, I just don't think it's worth it either. I mean, even if they didn't win this one, I, I think I tweeted the exact thing was like, can we just ice Giannis' ankle for like a week? At this point, if he didn't play at all on the upcoming, I don't know if it counts as a road trip. I don't know if he'll be on the road the whole time. But if he didn't play any of the next three games, all on the road, I certainly wouldn't be upset.
1: Yeah, I don't think anyone would, but uh, I I don't know whether that's going to be the case. I I would be (coughs) I would be surprised if uh, if he played in Atlanta just because, uh, well, the opposition first of all, but uh, the the time of year that it is, and just generally seeing uh, how sore Giannis was after the game. Giannis brushed the injury aside, as he always does. Mm -hmm. He said it's fine. He said he's fine. He said that uh, resting is not an option. He wants to play. Uh, Eric Name floated the possibility of missing these two games anyway, so Atlanta and then Brooklyn, which would give him around six days off, six, seven days off before the Philly game. And and he couldn't even finish asking the question before Giannis was like, No, no. He's like, No, that's not happening. That's not <sighs> happening. So Giannis. um that's Giannis and uh Man, Cowherd was right. <laughs> he uh <laughs> I mean he he admitted that uh he's not hundred percent right now. Uh he sort of played it down as in who's gonna be hundred percent right now? Everyone's playing through things, he has to play through injuries, he has to play through soreness, but this is something that we've been going back and forth with Bud about. Uh, all every, everyone that's there uh, covering the team for Bucks Media has gone backwards and forwards and asking Bud, "Well, how are you balancing this situation right now? You're having all these injuries. There's clearly guys that are hurt. What's more important, the, the number one seed or resting guys? And if you get to the position where you've nearly locked up the number one seed, which they have now, uh, I've been saying it for weeks, but it would be a disaster for the Bucks not to finish in the number one seed. They're going to get it." So you really need to think, is it more important for us to beat the Hawks on Sunday or are we going to spend as close to 100% as possible for game one? I mean, it's it's a pretty simple question in in, in my opinion. So we're going to see uh, how this plays out over the next week. But uh, the Bucks really now closing in on the playoffs. We are only uh, just over two weeks from, from game one of the first round. So uh there's just no need for us to see Giannis go down again in a, in, a, in a meaningless game. And I don't think you can shut him down for the whole season. But you really, really not need to start thinking very carefully about how you're managing Giannis down the stretch.
2: Yeah, especially when, I mean, it's not even close to, no one is close to the Bucks in terms of the top seed even. Like, look past the Raptors. The Warriors are fifty-one and twenty-three, so they like have a worse record than Toronto does right now, and they have a lot of issues of their own. I know they're on a two-game win streak and seven and three in their last ten, but you're talking about already twenty-three losses. So even if they go out perfect, the Bucks would have to lose four more times to tie them. And I think even if you sat Giannis for most of the games left, I don't know if they lose that many times. Maybe just because they're shorthanded, and you know the Hawks have been better than usual. The Nets obviously are. A playoff team this year, but they're not. They haven't been great lately. I just don't think it's worth it. I mean, it seems like this point, you can almost sleep sleepwalk your way to the number one seed, both in the East and overall. And I know it's it must sound like to some people that we're sort of taking that for granted, like we know they should finish strong and everything else. But I mean, it's just it's kind of hard to lose a, a four and I think it must be five game lead on the Warriors with six to play. I mean, it's. That's a very secure lead. It, it, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be difficult. It shouldn't be stressful. I mean, life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. Like this end-of-the-season run for the Bucks, there's no need to make this more complicated than it is. At GetEthos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars. No hours of paperwork or meeting with pushy representatives. This is perfect for Giannis, who would just tell you there's nothing wrong anyway. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured. You can rest assured, Giannis. You can rest assured. Knowing you've taken steps to protect your family, and in most cases with ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. I don't know about Kane, but I'm having way more than one cup of coffee today, so this is a real (laughs) bargain. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in mere minutes. Just go to GetEthos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. GetEthos.com. One more time for my Ethos fans in the back. GetEthos.com.
1: Yeah, I start the job again, as always. And uh, <laughs> I, 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 would, I would say I'm probably going to have uh, a cup of coffee or two today, I think.
2: Are you not a big uh, coffee guy?
1: Oh, no, I'm a big coffee guy, but I... Um,
2: you don't I want to don't, overdo it?
1: Yeah, I would I would normally try and... Like, look, if I'm having a good day, I'm only having one coffee, I I, I definitely don't go more than two. Um, for no real reason. I'm just like, do I need that? So, no, it's, it's,
2: good to not, it's good to not overdo it. I think I'm, gonna have, I'm having one now, and I feel like I'm going to have one about when I get to my, my day job at like eight-ish. Then I might get an afternoon one because I want to, you know, it's it's date night tonight. I don't want to lose. I don't want to like get just be tired. That's not an ad read. It sounds like that's an ad read. That's not an ad read.
1: I I get that. Hey, when I I mean it's it's a different life I'm leading now that I'm i I'm, I'm here. When I was in Australia and I was starting work at six a.m., it was I needed a coffee to get going. But now, uh, I mean, I finished work and went to sleep at four thirty. So. Uh, <laughs> A morning coffee is is not a good idea for me right now. But, uh, back to last night. I want to get to I want to get to my guy, my guy Sterling Brown, because yes, you know I know for for those that listened, uh, particularly to the mailbag episode, uh, I believe it was. I I, I'm not sure if there's going to be a podcast where I'll talk about Sterling Brown more than I did in that one. But I, I really felt that that he was the guy that was going to slip into this Bucks uh, starting lineup for. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon once he, he got a little bit of rhythm and, and we remember that he had such a such a long period off with that with that wrist injury um, so I guess again in unfortunate circumstances Tony Snell goes down which is uh, you know in the end the thing that allows Brown to to go into the starting lineup and I feel like it was probably direction the direction they were heading anyway but um, Snell going down just sort of fast forwarded that that process and uh, a couple of really uh, good games for Sterling Brown. Uh, starting tw- against Houston, he plays twenty six minutes, has uh eight points on four of eight shooting, eleven rebounds, a career high, uh, with three assists as well for, for Sterling. And then last night, he ties a career high with fifteen points. Uh, I don't think he has a rebound, no rebounds. So, but the, you know, I I sort of commented to Bud after the game, uh, that you know when you think about what Malcolm Brogdon brings to the table and and what you know you're going to see when you look at the box score. And really, (laughs) that line from Sterling last night was very Malcolm Brogdon. Six for 10 from the field, three for six from three, uh, just really efficient and and quiet scoring and sort of accumulated points as the game went on until you looked at the box score at the end and you say, ah, okay, Sterling had 15 points. Uh, Not a guy that, that drew a lot of attention uh, from the opposition defense, and really, how can you spend too much time thinking about Sterling Brown because you're dealing with Middleton, Giannis, Lopez, Bledsoe, all these other players? So, uh, I, I think a really positive sign for the Bucks that Sterling's looking uh, really comfortable that We know how aggressive he is, and, and uh, you know he's got that that real bulldog mentality defensively. But to see his shot come back, he's shooting over fifty percent from three uh, from the corners all year. Uh, I think Sterling's starting to look um like he's really getting his comfort back again after after, after the long layoff
2: no i agree i remember that's a malcolm brogdon comparison kind of funny to me because when he was first drafted i was talking to adam mcgee who you dispatched in the uh the twitter bracket thing or whatever but um <laughs> australian on irish crime there but um I remember we were talking about, on on a, on an episode of the Win in Six pod that they do, and I was like, "This guy seems like another like shot at getting a Malcolm Brogdon, you know, a second round guy who's older. You know, he's not like nineteen, which obviously for whatever reason in the NBA draft, if you're not like nineteen or twenty, you're just you, it feels like you're just a second round pick at this point, which is tough. Um, but you know, a guy who can shoot, he was a proven shooter in college. He came from a school with a big defensive reputation, and you know, he's come through and he's done those things. And, and he's really, I've been impressed. And I guess Brogdon, too, he can put the ball on the floor and really make plays at the basket, which I think, I know Zach Lowe talks about this a lot. Like, when you catch a pass, if you're a wing player, you're not like a, you know, a star, like, isolation scorer or whatever. You have to either shoot, pass, or drive right away. Like, you can't really hesitate. And I think Sterling Brown is one of those players who he's going to do one of the three. He's not going to. He never seems to hesitate. He never seems to feel, you know, out of place or whatever. He he goes and he does. It's not always successful, of course, but I think just the way he plays is such a boost. It is not. There's no hiccup in his giddy up.
1: No, I yeah, first of all I like that line, but yeah. he, uh, uh, I think you're right, and and I don't again I don't like to or I don't I really don't want to compare Sterling to to Brogdon and, and try and say that. Uh, you know the bucks aren't gonna miss a beat without Brogdon. Like that's that's not what I'm getting at, but I just think that there are sort of similarities between what they can bring uh, to this team. Um, you're not gonna see Sterling uh sort of get to get to the racket as as easily as Brogdon uh does, and he's not, he's not as sort of crafty, I guess, with the ball in his hand as Brogdon is. He's probably uh not a good a passer, but he 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 can. Uh, you know in catch and shoot situations he's really good from three uh you know particularly in the corners, which is a spot that with the way the bucks play they they can they can work themselves into some open uh corner threes particularly with that fifth uh starter in sterling so um you pointed to his confidence, i think that's a big thing and, and really defensively I, I think uh you know you could make a pretty strong argument to say that Brown is a better individual defender than than Brogdon. so um look. Uh, the Bucks again, you know, are definitely missing Malcolm, and, and can't wait to get him back. But I'm I'm sort of excited to see still and uh, fill this role over the over the next couple of weeks. I, I think that um you know a few injuries during the season uh, have sort of slowed him down a little bit, and he probably uh, hasn't had overall the season that that he wanted. But I, I think him getting healthy at, at the right time of year is going to be big for him, and I think. Uh, when you think about this Bucks team and the way that they've been able to win games and, and you know, on the back of their defense and a lot of that has been with the second unit, which, you know, yes, Sterling is starting right now, but he's been a guy that's played with that second unit through the season uh, with uh, George Hill, uh, DJ Wilson, Ersan's in there. And uh, I think those guys uh, are really starting to get their, their mojo back, I guess, particularly defensively. And, a lot of that and look, it's just not a coincidence. Yes, uh DJ Wilson for starters back in the rotation. That's a big that's a big deal for the defensive side of things, but George Hill coming back. And and we spoke about this uh you know when he first returned from that sort of groin uh Doctor Strain and he missed another game, but uh the second unit uh are really putting together some some big time numbers for the Bucs against the Rockets against the Rockets the best four let me look at it. Best the best four uh, guys for plus minus came off the bench. Pat Connaughton was a plus fifteen. George Hill was a plus ten. DJ Wilson plus eleven, and Ursan a plus eight. Last night against uh, the Clippers, the best three guys: Pat Connaughton plus twenty, George Hill plus twenty four, and Ursan a plus twenty. So, uh, you know, this this the fact that the Bucks are really again getting back to. Getting dominant minutes uh from from that, that, that second unit is is just big time right now for Milwaukee.
2: No, I think so. I Pat C as I was a little down on Pat C for a little while. I feel like I'm back up on Pat C. I refused. I don't know why I always call him that. I just I just like that as his name. <laughs> but um I, I think he's put together some strong performances. His defense feels better than it was. Uh obviously George Hill has been big. Um DJ Wilson is his flat earth shot is I still don't understand how it goes in so often but it does so hey don't don't change it i mean if it ain't broke don't fix it right uh and then you know Ursan. ursan has been I I'm I've come around on Ersan all the way. I feel bad about bashing Ursan before. Ersan if you're listening you're not but if if you were to listen it was only cuz I wanted DJ to play Ursan. I'm sorry. I don't think he cares.
1: Well, I I mean this has been a, a really 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 long stretch of just good basketball forson I mean he
2: just keeps doing good things man
1: it's been around a month now like that that stretch that sort of horror stretch shooting the ball feels like it was a long long time ago he uh he's just been getting the job done I know last night just the two points in his, in his 21 minutes but as I said a plus 20 he the, the, when he's on the floor good things are just happening at the moment and it's not always it's not always the prettiest uh, basketball aesthetically, I guess, or, or watching the game. he He's kind of awkward, but the Bucks just keep on, uh, you know, playing well when he's on the floor. So, uh, Ersan, I think historically, when you look at his numbers, post-All-Star break, everything sort of takes an uptick, and I, I think we're seeing that again. Um, but
2: Ersan's a 16-game player, baby.
1: Yeah, he, I mean, this is what he loves, and this is where uh, – you know, he he wants to be out there. And, and I spoke to him recently, and he's been around a long time this time, but he hasn't been past the second round. Last year with the Sixers was the deepest he's been in the playoffs. So uh, you can't underestimate how hungry he is as well. He's been in the NBA for a long, long, long time. Uh, this is his real shot. This is his best chance to to go on a run in the playoffs, and and, and he can't wait for that. But, uh, yeah, again, overall, just the Bucks starting to get their defensive identity really back to where... They want it to be uh, keeping the rockets under 100 points the other night was was an incredible effort and, and the bucks are now 19 and one uh, when they when they keep teams under 100 the only the only uh, or the one in that 19 and one was that game uh, in Miami earlier in the season where uh, we know they were coming back from the uh, the back to back in Boston uh, got to Miami at 5 a.m. eight point first quarter so that's the only time. Uh, they've kept a team under a hundred points and lost. I think it was ninety four, eighty seven, off the top of my head. So, uh, look, that's a that's a pretty impressive record, and you can pretty much uh, pencil it in if if the Bucks' defense is locked in and they keep a team under a hundred points, they're not losing the game.
2: No, correct. And you know, you mentioned the Houston game. This is one I certainly wanted to talk about because. It felt like playoff basketball to me, not just because of the Harden Giannis matchup that probably ended up being anticlimactic for most folks. I mean, I think Giannis showed why he's the MVP because he fits into the team perfectly and does what it takes to win. But alas, whatever. Eric Bledsoe looked like the real MVP, but I think the the intensity, especially after that, for the first quarter was sloppy. But the, the last three quarters, the intensity on both ends, but especially defense. I mean. I don't know how many inbounds passes the Bucks picked off to turn into turnovers. It felt like a lot. And I think it just gave you a glimpse that when this team is incredibly locked in, I mean, they're going to be just treacherous to play offense against. I mean, they're going to get steals. Obviously, Giannis and Brook Lopez are going to get blocks. They're just – they're such a great team defensively. And, you know, going back to that stat you just mentioned about when they hold a team under 100, that's that bodes well that you know they can just flip on that that playoff defensive intensity when they need to. And then the other thing to go with the players was Budenholzer's scheme on Harden was obviously tremendous, unconventional. You know, the, the players' only broadcast didn't really seem to get it, which is par for the course, but <laughs> it worked. I mean, it, it, the, the Houston scoring under 100, I don't have the numbers. I would, I would venture, I guess, it happens very rarely. They're one of the most potent offenses in the league because of James Harden, because of Mike D'Antoni, the Maury ball that they play and they couldn't really get anything going. I mean, they had some horrific shooting nights, but I think the Bucks would say, "Hey, that's the whole point. We would if if PJ Tucker and Daniel House and whoever else are going to kill us fine, but we're not going to let Harden do it." And and that's what happened. So, I was encouraged by this game. I mean, the chances of Milwaukee facing up with Houston again this season are small, but just to know that, you know, when they sit down and Mike Budenholzer and his staff schemes for an opponent, they can do that well. And when the players are that locked in, they can do that well. I mean, did it feel to you like this is a, an optimistic view of what the Bucs could be in the playoffs?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, the, the big thing is that uh, we, we've seen the Bucks. I don't want to say that, I don't want to say they're bored, but I would say that they know their own capabilities and they know that they can uh, sort of switch up or down uh, gears as they need within games. Uh, we've often seen games uh, sort of a little closer than you would expect and then the Bucks get to the fourth quarter and they're like alright this one's over now we're going to play five minutes of defense and we're going to go from a five point lead to a, a 15 point lead and, and, and just crush you." Um, but that game uh, against Houston on Tuesday we saw that uh, really the turning point was when uh, you spoke about the uh, you know gra- uh, grabbing turnovers off the inbound pass but there was one there where Ersan sort of wildly flips a shot in um, I, I think it was Harden tried to inbound to Chris Paul, I believe, and Bledsoe jumped the pass, uh, stole that, laid it in, uh, and then sort of slapped the ball out of Harden's uh, hand, got the delay of game, and and I mean the whole arena just exploded at that point, point. Uh, and that was the game changer, and it was like that was the moment where the Bucks realized, okay, now it's time to now it's time to really switch on defensively. And I think before that sequence happened, the Bucks were trailing 37-30. Uh, they didn't look back after that. And it was on, on the back of the defense. And one thing that like I, I never really get, I don't really like, is that you see some sort of, uh, I guess, outside media people saying, wow, well, the Bucks have, have really unlocked the, the blueprint for uh, defending Harden. I mean, the Bucks did this when they played the Rockets back in uh, early January. This is... I, that wasn't a new tactic. The whole league saw, saw how the Bucs uh, defended Harden. They saw that they were you know, uh, taking away his left hand and it was relatively effective. I know Harden had 40 points in the, the last time they met, but it wasn't an efficient 40. And yeah, obviously this time it was it was even more impressive what the Bucs were able to do. But the reason that other teams can't do this is because they don't have, first of all, they don't have Eric Bledsoe, who all season has been fighting over screens and defending from that sort of uh, side-on, sort of uh, behind position uh, that he finds himself in after sort of fighting around those screens, um, which, you know, has been so effective in sort of pushing these guards from not shooting the three because they know that Bledsoe's sort of on their back and sort of pushing him into that, that mid-range shot that the Bucks want to give away. So Bledsoe can defend from that position that, and, and not many guys can do that without without fouling. That's a really, really tough thing to do. He's one of the only guys in the league that can do it. So, so that's why, first of all, that's the first reason why this is the, that other teams can't use this as a blueprint because they don't have Eric Bledsoe. Secondly, uh, Brooke Lopez is a guy who's so disciplined uh, defensively. He's always in the right spots and he doesn't foul. He just goes straight up. And that's a man mouth. And that, I mean, that's a splash man, I guess we <laughs> want to call it. For, for, James Harden to get over, so some of those floaters that they were shooting, I mean, they were they were bringing snow down. They were that high because they had to get over Lopez. So uh, seriously, I, I just that's 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 why it was so successful. And then you think, who's the wild card in this scenario? The third guy that's going to fly over the top and swat your shot into the second second row? It's Giannis, maybe the best defender in the league. So I you know you can talk people can talk about that being the uh, the blueprint. But you're going, to have, you're going to have the quality, the individual quality defensively, and, and not many teams have that.
2: It won't happen, unfortunately, but I think the Bucks have three legitimate all-defensive team candidates on this squad.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think that Lopez is probably the one that, that sits on the outside. I think Bledsoe's a legit chance for uh, –
2: I think he should be I mean, first team. I think he's been the best point guard defender in the NBA this season.
1: I think that's right and I think you could uh, it, I mean it's you can make a really strong argument I mean the Bucks have the number one defense they've really had the number one defense for uh, the majority of the season and again a lot of that is on obviously Giannis is is the guy that uh, you know just causes absolute chaos out there defensively but Bledsoe some of the jobs he's done when you think about playing Lillard, uh, Steph Curry, Curry Irving uh, obviously Harden the other night I mean he he's had all the big names and and pretty much every time he's had a big matchup, he's got the job done. I agree. I, I would love to see him in the f- uh, first team. Um, I think he, you know, he's sort of in that point now. When you have a game like that on national TV, that goes a long way uh, towards, you know, getting some votes. So, uh, I, look, Bud, uh, my Boonenhuiser after that Rockets game said that, yeah, he, he thought that that was the the case for all three of them to be all defense uh and it's hard to argue i mean we have been watching these guys every night but they've been incredible and and it would be great to see those guys get some recognition for just how good they've been and i mean they've really been incredible for uh for the majority of the season
2: yeah i completely agree and it it's going to sound a little ridiculous and i know it's not would have never happened because his numbers are probably lower and they're certainly lower than they have been in years past but I almost wish someone would give like their fifth all, most improved vote to Brooke Lopez because he has improved his game more than most players. And I'm not, obviously I'm not like Pascal Siakam should win. He's the, he's the right guy, but Brook Lopez went from, at least the perception was, and maybe this is why this is dumb because maybe he could do these things all along and we just didn't know, but you know, he's a, a no defense post-up guy and that's it. And that's what he got written off as similar to Greg Monroe, who right now is struggling to, you know, get on a contract for the rest of the season and get minutes. But he's become a guy who can shoot. And that that's not entirely new. He started to do that with the Lakers and even his last Nets season. But what he's added to his defensive end, and no one cares about defense, so he certainly probably won't be considered. But he's become the key cog on the on the league's best defense. And, and Giannis, Giannis is the key cog, but Lopez playing every game, manning that center position perfectly in every game, keeping everybody the Bucks play away from the rim, I mean, that's just not something that anyone would believe if you told them, told them that about Brooke Lopez two years ago. No one would believe that, even last year. I mean, the, on the Lakers, it just didn't seem like it would be a possibility, but thanks to Mike Budenholzer putting him in the best possible position. I mean, this guy looks like a complete player. I mean, he plays both ends. He can score from anywhere. He can defend, obviously. I mean, just good for Brooke Lopez. It's nice to see that he really reinvented himself over the last two years or so.
1: Yeah, you, you just can't really – I I mean, we could talk about Lopez. We could do a whole pot on Lopez because you can't – I mean, you just cannot really explain as much as you want to how perfect he has been on, on sort of uh, both ends for uh, what the Bucks are trying to do and how well he fits in with with what Bud is trying to do on both ends. Um, just I, – I don't know. You I mean, I just shake my head daily that the Bucs have got this guy for just a two-go-three mil. It is – it is ridiculous, but uh, you yeah, know either way. I, I, I said that 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 Rockets game was about as comprehensive a victory as I've seen from the Bucks against a really um, sort of marquee opposition, I guess that was playing really well. So um, look, we, that's we've sort of covered those two games, I, I think, pretty well. Uh, another two wins for the Bucks. They're up to the fifty-seven. But we do want to talk about uh, some other news from your uh, neck of the woods, the herd. Uh, moved on the coaching staff, so I I guess you should probably uh, take the reins here.
2: Yeah, so the uh, the news, quote unquote, broke on Twitter. I mean, it was a it was a press release, and uh, it was one where you know instead of tweeting it right away, I kind of started to reach out to some people because I had I had some questions about it. and I'll get there, but yeah, it's a, not to bury the lead. I mean, Jordan Brady and almost all of his staff were were let go by by the Buck slash herd. Uh, earlier this week. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't remember now. But anyway, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's tough for for Jordan Brady, who, you know, spent two seasons with uh, with Wisconsin. I think they were 33 and 67 over those two years, which obviously is probably the main impetus for this, this move being made. Um, you know, last season started off hot. Seemed like the Herd were going to be a very rare expansion team that makes the playoffs and sort of Vegas Golden Knights fashion but sort of fell apart there as the year went on and some of their best players got quote-unquote poached by the NBA you know James Young, Xavier Munford etc and this season there was never that hot spell just a rough year I think that that, that there was one four-game winning streak right after Nick Johnson joined the team pretty late in the season too late for anyone to you know sort of get deluded into thinking a playoffs run was coming but that ends up being their best stretch of the year those four straight games and Really just a lot of, you know, a lot of roster movement, but that's, I mean, that's just the G League. You have to be ready for that. Um, I think the tough part is everyone in the org stressed development is their first goal. I mean, they have a board on the wall with all the guys who get called up, and there were less of those this year. But you look at, obviously, like Xavier Munford, who came back, shows you, you know, how valuable – um, their development was with him. He continues to be really good uh, on the Bucks side. I mean, DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown cut their teeth in the G League, and they're they're doing a lot better now. I think that certainly plays some sort of role in in their resurgence, at least, or at least it looks like it does. But even uh, even on a smaller scale, Mike Qualls got a lot better this season, and and Jordan Brady really gave him the reins to play. Siobhan Thompson, who didn't always get you know his minutes because of another guy I'll mention in a second, but He improved a lot as the season went on. He started to do more offensively. I thought he was a real NBA player. I think he's playing in Belgium now. Was the last update I saw. It's a lot. It's funny. A lot of these guys, you know, hit the plane and they're gone right after the season, going to go play somewhere else. That's the the life of a G Leaguer. But obviously, Christian Wood. I mean, we saw him improve a lot just over the course of this season. The one on one work with Vin Baker helps. But I mean, he got to tear apart all sorts of G League defenses now. He's doing it for the Pelicans, I think 23 points last night. And my mentions are going to be busy for the next eternity with people asking me why, why isn't he doing that for the Bucs? And I think we've we've covered that enough. I don't want to disparage Christian. I mean, I'm I'm super happy for his success over there. But the development was there. But as a league source told me earlier this season, when on one of the really bad stretches for the herd, you know, I, I asked sort of like, you know, everyone says that the wins and losses don't matter. Like, is that is that true? Like, is it just development focus? And and they go. It's true until you lose this many, and then it then it starts to matter. And I think that combined with, of course, the factor that Brady was not a Bud guy, and coaches like to bring in their guys. We saw, you know, Bud brings in all his guys from Atlanta. One of those guys, Josh Longstaff, has experience running a G League team. Uh, Vin Baker has a lot of time down there in Oshkosh. I think he's more he's on Bud's staff, more of a Bud guy. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, who ends up taking the reins, but. Not a surprising move, but the timing was a little surprising. Not the timing, just, you know, it's not surprising that it happened, but just to actually see it go through, it was kind of like, oh, wow, they they went ahead and did that.
1: Yeah, I've always thought that, um, you know, it's a tough gig down in the, in the G League with the fact that, you know, so often you do lose guys that are really contributing to wins, so... Uh, that's the nature of the of the beast, I guess. And I'm glad you touched on that at the end the fact that he wasn't a bud guy. And, and and again, this isn't this isn't suggesting that you know this is Bud throwing the hammer down on Jordan Brady. But yeah, you know, I would I would expect us that we will see a guy take that job that uh, you know Bud is familiar with. Yeah, uh, you know, from all reports, he had a great relationship with Jordan Brady. They spoke a lot every time I spoke to to Jordan. He said that uh, Bud or or if it wasn't Bud, the the coaching staff up at the Bucks were talking. Uh, multiple times a day at times, he said, uh, you know, working together and talking about the players and, uh, you know, trying to really incorporate a lot of what the Bucks are doing down at the G League level. So, look, just I think the relationship between the Herd and the Bucks is great. I think uh, ever since Bud came in, we've... It, it's I mean, it's been leaps and bounds from where it was. Um, but, again, uh, they lost a hell of a lot of games. And I, I think... You know, even even probably the coaching staff themselves were probably a little concerned that this was going to happen. So the herd move on with their coaching staff. We'll wait and see what happens there. But uh, Just
2: one more coaching thing quickly. Go ahead. Some people might remember Sydney Dobner. She got a pretty good amount of media coverage because she was sort of discovered by John Horst during a workout in California. Uh, she was a video and coaching assistant or associate, I can't remember the exact word, for the, the herd this season. But she is sticking around with the organization in in some role to be determined with the Bucks or her, depending on how the coaching staff ends up structured. But just a little bit of news there that was not in the press release. But uh, Brian Butch has been, you know, they've parted ways. He will not be back, from what I've heard. But Sydney Dobner is expected and is right now staying around the organization.
1: There you go. That's a that's that's a nice one to to keep, from what I've read. Um, but. Uh... Back to the Bucks. I, I think that we've we've sort of we've gone through everything we really want to talk about. But uh, just from the standings point of view, we, we already touched on the fact that the the Bucks will play the Hawks on Sunday. Now that's an eleven thirty a.m. tip, so uh, don't get to Sunday afternoon and then think you're going to settle in and and have a beer and watch the Bucs on Sunday <laughs> night because they're tipping up at eleven thirty. So do not forget that one. And then they move to Brooklyn on Monday, so a, a road back to back for the Bucs. but uh, when when we look at the standings now, as we've already said, the Bucks are looking super comfortable, fifty seven and nineteenth, just a ridiculous thirty eight games over, uh, over five hundred there, uh, four games ahead of the Raptors, still with with just six to go. So I mean, it's you know, whatever the magic numbers two. The Bucks are going to be the number one seed. We know that. So what we start looking at now is the eight seed, and it is tight. We do not know where we will be heading at this point. It, it could be a number of cities. Uh, Miami right now in eighth. So they are half a game ahead of Orlando, who the Magic are trying to force their way into that eighth seed. So uh, Miami in eighth, half a game ahead of Orlando. Charlotte are a further one game back. So look, it's, it's starting to look pretty difficult for Charlotte. So Orlando is in the mix. Brooklyn are only half a game ahead of the Heat, and then the Pistons are only half a game ahead of them. So only, what have we got? One and a half games one and a half games separating six through nine at the moment. So really, it, it could be Detroit, it could be Brooklyn, it could be Miami, or it could be Orlando. So on any given night, those are the four teams you really want to be keeping an eye on right now if you're a Bucs fan in terms of who they could play in the first round. So uh, I think we've already discussed who we think the Bucs would like to play or... Or you know maybe not want to play. I mean, in my opinion, it doesn't doesn't really matter who the hell they play. Yeah, I, I agree. Win. But it's simply well, from a selfish point of view, for me, it's simply about where I'm going to be in the first round, and it could be Florida or in some warm weather, and I would not have a problem with that. So, uh,
2: so you're just rooting against the Nets being there, uh, and the Pistons.
1: Um and look, I don't want to root against my guy Thon. Like, I'd be happy to hang out with him. Uh, for oh yeah, for a few games. So that would be great to to see him. But and I definitely would have no problem with Brooklyn either. That's a pretty damn cool place to hang out for two days with Game Three and Four when the Bucks complete the sweep. But
2: oh, uh,
1: but yeah, you know, Miami or Orlando. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain. Charlotte, Charlotte's nice. Uh, I've done my Charlotte. I, I, I'm out on Charlotte. I agree, it was a nice place, but I'm out on Charlotte. I'm hoping they, they do not find this, beat their way up into eighth. I'm, I'm done with them. So, what do you think? You got anything else? You? Uh, I got. I
2: got one thing. Go. You're not gonna like it. I'm not gonna ask about the feature. I know you don't want to talk about the feature. Everyone's read the ringer Feature, but I have to ask. Felt like there was a lot of. A lot of response to it, specifically to your part of it, as people who don't know, learn that you're just on this what, what someone may have called crazy to me sort of venture of just moving to Milwaukee, becoming a beat reporter, everything else. What has the, the response been like for you and, and what has yeah. it meant to you to have so many people saying something about it?
1: Well, I—I I mean, first of all, it's been unbelievable. I, I, my phone sort of—so we—we I, I, we didn't know, we didn't know this story. I mean, obviously, me, uh, uh, Matt, Eric, and, my, and myself spoke to Brian Curtis, and, and over the last week, we all were on the phone to him for—I don't know, forty to forty-five minutes. We, we had a really good conversation. He's a great guy, uh, but we had no idea that the story was was dropping yesterday, or uh, yeah, yesterday. So. Um, that happened so at about, I must have been about 6 a.m. because I, I woke up not long after that and my phone was really, really blowing up. And, uh, you know, the story was getting a lot of coverage as it does, it was on the ringer. It's obviously a great website. Uh, Brian's a great writer, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that people have been very supportive and offered a lot of things which I don't feel totally comfortable with. I didn't, I didn't want the story to be like, come off as uh you know, I'm some, some sort of like, or, or, you know, I, I just, that's, I thought it was great. I thought the story was great. I think it showed that, uh, you know, the relationship I have with Matt and Eric and how well uh, we get along and what it's like being on on the Bucks beat. So I think it was, there was some good insight for for people to read and, and the story itself got a lot of good coverage, but, uh, you know, everyone's been, so uh, it's, yeah, it makes me a little uncomfortable that, uh. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, people are so generous. So I really appreciate that, and I'm not surprised. Uh, ever since I moved to Milwaukee, the people have been great to me. Eric and Matt have been great to me. The Bucks have been great to me. So it doesn't surprise me. And I really appreciate that. But as you said, I I don't like talking about myself, and uh, it's just I don't know. It was kind of it was kind of a strange day.
2: I'm sure it was. I'm I'm not gonna. I I knew. I think I'm gonna like. I think I'm gonna regret asking this question. I feel like you'll get me back if, for whatever reason, I don't think there'll be a chance. I don't think my stories are cool enough for anyone to write about. But I had to bring it up. I had to see. I had to see what you were thinking. So I knew. I knew you wouldn't for sure.
1: No, I was. There's no chance in hell I was bringing that up. But I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, like a cool thing. The ring is cool. I mean, it's probably something that uh, look. I, I, as I said, I think for the group of us, I, I didn't know it was gonna be so centered around me. I thought it was more of all three of us, but. I think it gave some good perspective and, and that was really the interesting part of the story for me was that, you know, people can sort of read that and maybe, yeah, get a bit of insight about, you know, what we do and, and, and that sort of stuff. But yeah, I just, the I don't know. Anyway, I think I've spoken better it I I just, it's not my, that's not sort of my style, but it was cool. I'll leave it at that. Yeah,
2: that's fair enough. Uh, that's 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 all I've got now. We're we're over time. That's all I've got. I just had to sneak that in there.
1: Yeah, I think we've broken a record. This is officially a record-breaking pod. And again, I didn't think that we were going to get there when we we started off talking about how I'm on about an hour sleep. You're about to go to work. Uh, but here we are. This is the way it goes. So uh, as I said, the Bucks fifty-seven and nineteen. They will be back at eleven thirty Sunday. Do not forget that one. Uh, you know, some people might be still celebrating, I guess, another Brewers win on Saturday night. But Ooh. 11.30 a.m. against the Hawks. Ty, thank you for getting up early and uh, enjoy your day at work.
2: <laughs> Always a blast to go to work, Kane. Enjoy your uh, sleeping. And, and like Kane said, remember to crack that beer before the Bucks game at 11.30. Don't cr- I guess you can crack it later too, but... Keep in mind the early start time, and and yeah, thanks for listening as always, everybody. You know, subscribe, rate, review all your podcast platforms: Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, maybe not Google, but Google Play might still be coming, but uh, Spotify. And uh, yeah, check it out and enjoy the show. And thank you guys for the uh, support.